Well, if you only had one chance to impart your, your wisdom to the world, and it was going to be your last chance to speak, what would you say? So that was the topic of a lecture series at Carnegie Mellon Institute, and they asked Professor Randy Pausch to, to speak based on that topic. And so he'd spent a lot of time thinking, okay, if I, my last chance, my last lecture as a professor, what would I want to tell my students? And he wrestled with this, and it became a little more serious when a couple months before he was scheduled to give his lecture, he found out that the cancer he had been wrestling with, he had now got a prognosis that it was going to be terminal. And it really was going to be his last lecture. And it was going to be the last time that he had to speak. And so he decided to give his, speak on, or his speech on how to chase your childhood dreams. And it was a wonderful lecture. It ended up getting turned into a book and into a movie. Um, and it, I love this, this idea of, and it inspired people thinking, okay, well, if you really had one last chance to speak, what would you say? What would you do? What do you think the most important thing that you could give to the world would be? Well, this week we're going to see Joshua's last words and Joshua's last lecture. This is his. We're coming to the end of the book of Joshua. We're going to look at 23 and 24, both of those chapters, and we're going to see this is Joshua's last chance to speak. It's really his last words. It's his last public ministry. It's the last words that we are going to get from him. And he's not going to give us a speech about chasing our childhood dreams. That's a wonderful topic. Um, But he's really going to give a warning to the people of Israel. Because they've conquered the land, right? They're in there, they, they're done, he can rest his feet up, but he wants to let them know, okay, well, now what are you going to do? Are you going to keep it? And really, all of life comes down to this one choice that Joshua is going to mention. Um, so if you would, turn with me in your Bibles in Joshua 23 and 24. I'm going to read both chapters. Um, we're not going to stand just because it is, I understand that it is a lot. Um, And again, I've said this numerous times, but the reason that I just read God's Word all at once is because I just have this conviction that that is what preaching is supposed to be, that it's supposed to just come from His Word, and we read it all, and then I try and explain it. So if there's anything that comes out of my mouth that you look and you can't find it back in here, you can just ignore it um, and throw it away. But so that's, especially when we have big sections and explain why I do this. Okay, Joshua 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and heads and its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is from the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. And the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight as you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left, that you may not mix with the nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as He promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and you cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, 
Know that for certain the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you. Whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off the good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until He has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which He commanded you. And go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of God will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly off of the good land that He has given you. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and the heads of the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. And they took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with all that I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and took possession of the land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sat and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land in which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, serve the Lord, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is an evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the Jordan or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who has brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who did the great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. 
And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it there on the terebinth that was in the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gesh. And Israel served the Lord all of the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up, up from Egypt, they buried them in Shechem, in the piece of the land that Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. And it became an inheritance in the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which he had given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for speaking through your servant, Joshua. I pray that you would, as we've sung, open the eyes of our heart, that you would let us hear from your word this morning, that it wouldn't just be something written long ago to a people who are no longer here on earth, but that we would hear from your voice what we would do here this morning. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so point number one, if you are taking notes, is that we need to choose to serve Jesus. It's to choose to serve Jesus. And this is really the core of what Joshua is asking. It's the core of what he's saying is, okay, guys, you have to choose. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the other gods? And as you look, it's interesting to see Joshua's last words. There's a lot of similarities between Moses' last words and actually Joshua's last words. If you go and you read Deuteronomy 30, Moses gave the people the same warning and the same choice. Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose to serve other gods and other things? And Joshua is asking Israel this because he's worried. He's wondering, right? If we remember all the way back when we started this study in the book of Joshua in chapter 1, they were wondering, Moses is gone. Well, what are we going to do? Well, they're wondering, okay, Joshua is about to be gone. Now what are we going to do? We've conquered the land, but are we going to keep the land? And Joshua is wondering, are you going to continue to serve God? Are you going to continue to serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And he explicitly lays this out in in 24, verse 14, where he says, you know, now fear the Lord, serve him, put away those other gods. And then in 15, if it's evil in your day, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve? You have to make the choice now. Are you going to serve God, the God who's done all of this for us, or are you going to serve some other gods? And he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As far as Joshua has any influence, If Joshua could choose for you, he's telling you, this is the choice you need to make. Obviously, choose to serve God. And so what does serving God look like? What does that mean, Joshua? Well, if you go back to 23, verse 6, um, he lays this out pretty clearly. He says, therefore, be strong and keep to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Don't turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. He's saying serving God means obeying what he's asked. You have to say, well, what does God want from me? Well, I'm glad you asked, Israel. 
This is me speaking as Joshua. I'm glad you asked. I've got a whole book here with everything that God would like for you to do. And we've read this multiple times as a people. We've seen over throughout the course of this book, they've read the whole book of the law again. They've listened to it. They've recommitted themselves to it. And this is, again, he's saying, you need to obey what God has asked of you. 23.16, he lets them know again, look, if you transgress the covenant, and the covenant is the book of the law, it's, it's the rules. God's saying, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Here's, here's what that looks like. If you do all these things, if you obey, if you serve me, I'll bless you. If you transgress the covenant, if you don't obey me, if you serve other gods, I'm going to curse you. This is how it's going to work. So that's, so the serving God is mirrored with, well, you can serve God or 16, you can serve other gods. So what does it mean to serve God? It means obeying what he's asked them to do. And for Israel, that means they need to be obedient to God's word. And Joshua reminds them, well, why should we obey God's word? Why should we serve God? Joshua, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you 13 verses, the beginning of chapter 24, to explain all that God has done for you. And he just goes through the history book of everything that God has done. I'm not going to read it all again. I'm just going to read a number of these verbs that pop up and see if you can catch a common theme speaking of all that God has done. Well, three, I took, I gave, I gave Jacob, I gave Esau, I sent Moses, I plagued Egypt, I did, I brought out, I brought out your fathers, I put darkness between the Egyptians, what I did in Egypt, I brought you into the land, I gave you the land, I destroyed them, I wouldn't listen to those who spoke against you, I delivered you out of them, I gave them into your hand, I sent hornets. And 13, in case you missed it, he lays it out again, I gave you a land in which you have not labored and cities you have not built. Man, isn't it amazing all that Israel accomplished on their own? Right? Because with just hard work, good American work ethic, and pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, I mean, they really did a lot all on their own. It, it's an achievement of man. It's a testament to that. No, they didn't do anything. I mean, you know, they, they were obedient. They worked with God, yes. Um, but look, God is laying this out. Look at, this is God. God did this. It's like, a, a Calvin, okay, we have a bunch of leaves outside because we've got all these big trees that I said I wanted, and, um, and then the leaves came off, and I got to rake them, Okay. <laughs> So I bought a big old rake, and then I, I, you know, I caved, and I bought Calvin a little rake, and so I take Calvin out there to help me rake the leaves, right? Okay, he is not very much help, okay? His idea of helping is he pushes my pile out with his rake, okay? So that's, that's what he does, but it's fun because he's raking the leaves with me. Well, sometimes that's what it's like for Israel. This is what it's been like for Israel. They have been doing all of this with God. They're not really doing it. God is the one who is doing it. They are just along for the ride with their heavenly Father. And in case they missed it in 13 again, the land that you're living in, these nice cities, these nice crops, everything in you're enjoying, everything good in your life, Israel, is only because of God. It is only because of what God has done. Every single good thing you see, you didn't build these cities, you didn't make these lands, you didn't even plant these crops, you're not even that good of a farmer yet. God did this. God did it. But this is a trap, and it's not just a trap Israel can fall into, it's a trap that we can fall into. That we start to think that we did all these things in our lives. We start to wonder, well, what has God ever done for me? I've done all this stuff. It reminds me, there's a, a very silly cartoon um, that I love. It's just like little dopey stick people. And one of them has a little ball with some stuff on it. He shows it to the other guy. He says, hey, I made this. Look at this. And the guy's like, oh, cool, you made this. And then, you know, gives it to him and then disappears. And the other guy just looks at it and goes, I made this. 
like, oh, you didn't make this. Actually, this is mine now. And I mean, it's kind of silly, but that's, it's a picture of what we do. Because God does something for us, then it feels like God disappears for a while, and then we slowly become convinced that, well, God actually didn't answer that prayer or do that. I did that on my own. I accomplished this. You forget about all the time you spent begging and asking God to move, and now you just think that it just kind of happened for some other reason. We start to ask, well, what has God ever done for me? Well, for Israel, God has done everything for them. And He's also done everything for us. Every good thing that we have, God has done for us. And we need to remember to choose to obey God because of all of these done. In, in 23, 14, He reminds us that not one word has failed of all of the good things that the Lord your God promised. Every single thing God ever promised to them has come true. That He is faithful. He's done incredible things. He's kept all of His promises. That's a God that's worth serving. We talked about that, right? We talked about this previously, how God keeps every single promise that He makes. Every single one. And you know what else Jesus has done on our behalf? He's done, he's done even more than He did for Israel. He sent His Son to die for us. Even as we were stuck in our sin, even as we rebelled against Him and we said, we don't want to serve you, God. I want to serve the gods of everything else that I can find. He didn't just leave us and say, well, too bad, you made your choice. No, He sent Jesus. He sent His only Son to die on the cross for us. And not just to forgive us and give us a ticket to heaven one day, but to deliver us out of our sin now. To give us eternal life that we can taste at this moment. To set us free from our sins. And He sends the Holy Spirit to live in our lives and to empower us for ministry. He doesn't just leave us alone. And He continues to do all these things for us. And there are so many promises that God has made to us. The promise Jesus gives before He ascended, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. God keeps all of His promises. We need to serve to choose Jesus. Even as believers, we can forget how much God does for us even now, though. We can start to think, well, I'm a really mature believer because I've worked really hard at it. You know, I, I, just, I came to church a lot. I've been reading my Bible really good. You know, and this is, this is me. I, you know, I don't know if the Holy Spirit did this. I think I did this. I've accomplished this. No, even the, the good things about us, God is the one who makes those happen. And so how do we serve God? Well, we serve Him faithfully in 24.14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. We need to faithfully choose and sincerely choose to follow Jesus and sincerely choose to follow after God. Because the trap Israel can fall into is they can just follow God because, well, their ancestors followed God. And, well, their parents followed God. And we can fall into the same trap. Well, you know, my parents took me to church. I grew up in church. I, you know, it's just kind of the thing we do. We'll just serve Him. But we, what Joshua is asking, what God is asking us to do is to serve Him in sincerity, to mean it. And to faithfully serve Him, to be faithful to God because He has been so faithful to us and He will continue to be so faithful to His people all throughout eternity. And this is the most important thing that Israel can do. It's the most important thing that we can do. It's the most important choice we can make is we every day need to choose that I am going to serve Jesus. I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to serve these other gods. But that's the temptation, isn't it? So point number two, you'll see that we need to resist the temptation to serve other gods. That we need to resist the temptation to serve other gods. And this is something that comes up over and over, not just for them, but for us as well. In 24.15, this is the choice again, kind of the key verse. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods your father served? Are you going to serve the gods of the people around you? It's for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. And the question just for us is the same. Are we going to serve the God of the Bible? Are we going to serve Jesus? Are we going to serve His Word? Or are we going to serve the gods of the nation around us? Are we going to serve the gods of the people here? And this is the big temptation that Israel will face all throughout their history. As you read throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament, they are constantly tempted and constantly failing and constantly serving after other gods other than the one true God. And you look in 23.7, we see part of how this pull starts for them. And seven, and you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. So part of you say, don't even talk about their gods. Don't even say their name. They shouldn't even enter your brains. They should just be an afterthought. But it mentions this, don't mix with the nations. And then in 12 later, he says, or in 23, 12, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of nations among you, don't make marriages with them and don't associate them and they with you. And he's describing this as a trap and saying, okay, look, if you guys intermarry with these other nations, if you mix with them, if you start blending with them, I'm going to judge you. So a quick detour to, to unpack that because this passage has been, unfortunately been used um, throughout history to defend things like segregation and to say, well, see, the Bible says that interracial marriage is ungodly and unlawful. And that's twisting what this passage means. That's missing what it's saying of, well, the point of seven, don't mix with them. It's all about serving their gods. And that's what all of this is about. And it's not about, and if this was true, if they just weren't ever supposed to marry any foreigner, well, then what do we do with Rahab? Do we know she came? She's a foreigner. What do we do with all the other foreigners who join the people of God? What do we do with the Gibeonites? That's a whole people group who come and join in the nation of God. What about all these other people who come and join Israel? So it's not about not marrying them. It's primarily about, okay, you can marry them, but if they're walking away from their gods and coming and worshiping the true God. It's very similar to what Paul said when he said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's saying, look, if they're not going to follow God, if they're going to follow other gods, and then you're going to say, you know what, that's fine. Why don't we get married anyway? You can have, you know, we'll cut the house down the middle. You can have your God over there. I have my God over here. Okay, that's not going to work. And that's what God's talking about, right? Happy wife, happy life. Well, I guess I need some idols in the house. Got to keep the wife happy, right? That, that's the warning that Joshua is giving and what he's trying to say. And it's because that's a temptation. Because there's already all these nations, there's already all these gods everywhere, and now you're just bringing them into your home. You're bringing them even closer. Don't do that. And the consequences, if they do this, are severe. In 23, 15, 16, where he says, look, all the good things that God gave you, well, guess what? Now he's going to bring all the evil things until he destroyed you. And if you transgress this covenant of the Lord and go serve these other gods, because it's all about serving other gods, and you bow to them, the anger of the Lord will be against you. I don't want God angry at me. I don't like anybody angry at me. Okay, I can tend, unfortunately, sometimes to be a people pleaser. Mostly, I, I don't mind if everybody loves me. I mean, that'd be great. But I really just don't want people mad at me. I don't like that. Okay, well, if God's mad at me, that's going to be really bad. Okay, you don't want that. What's going to happen? Will you perish off the good land? That's intense. And what God is saying is, look, I gave you all of this land. And the only way you're going to keep this land is if you obey me. So if you want to serve other gods, okay, go see if they can give you some land because get off of mine. You're going to get evicted. And he lays that all the way out. It's in Leviticus 28 and Deuteronomy 26. 
What he's saying is no one can try and serve two masters. There's only one God. And they have to decide, are they going to serve Yahweh? Are they going to serve Abraham's God, the God of the Bible, or are they going to serve these other gods? And we face the same temptation today. Um, but, but we like to feel we're a lot better than them, right? Because, you know, I don't have any idols in my house. At least I don't have any statues that I'm burning incense to. Okay, I haven't sacrificed any goats lately. Um, I don't know about you. I'm just going to make some assumptions that you probably have not done that. Um, but we still face the same temptation that they face to serve other gods. And I, there's a, a story that, that I love that kind of illustrates this. It's, not, it's a, a book called American Gods. It's a fiction book. It's not by a Christian at all. It's an agnostic. Um, and it's just kind of this fantasy story about how, you know, immigrants came over to America and they brought their gods with them, right? So Odin and, you know, all those other mythological gods, they kind of come over with these immigrants. Um, but the problem is they're losing their power because no one really believes them in them anymore, right? And so they're trying to, you know, kind of get people to believe in them so they can get powerful again. But the main thing I love about it is there's these new gods. There's all these new gods in America. And well, what are some of these new gods? Well, because people aren't sacrificing goats anymore, but they have the, the gods of cars and technology. And there's the god of television and the god of credit cards and the god of fast food. And there's all these other gods that are getting more powerful. This is a quote from the book from the author. He says, the modern gods right now are the things we give our attention to. The things we give our time to, because time is precious and time is what we use to worship. We should be wary of technology. We should be wary of our telephones because we give them our time, our attention, and our love. Okay, this is an agnostic. This is somebody who, when pushed, he said, I don't really care if God exists, actually. It doesn't really matter to me at all. But I think he actually nails this. We worship other gods all the time. We're just much fancier about it. Our gods are much prettier than their old stone gods. And there's a lot of ways to figure out, you know, what, what, is, your, what is your idol? What are you actually worshiping? And, and one way, a good way to find this out is every single idol demands sacrifice. Okay, every single idol, everything we worship, it demands that we're sacrificing something. Okay, but again, we're not sacrificing goats or sheep or cows anymore. But we do sacrifice our time. We do sacrifice our money. We sacrifice our sanity. We sacrifice our love, our affections, our emotions, sacrifice our hope. We sacrifice lots of these things. We can sacrifice time in God's Word so we can do something else. We can sacrifice time among God's people. We can sacrifice our certain relationships for something else. We can sacrifice all sorts of things. So, but this means, and now this doesn't mean that anything you're giving your time or your affections or your money to is automatically an idol. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you go through and you start doing an audit, and you just write out how you spend all your time during the week, or you go through and you look, and well, how do I actually spend all my money? You go through your heart, and well, what actually do I deeply care about? What if I took it out of my life, would I really miss? And then be honest with yourself. And Again, that doesn't mean anything you love or spending time with is automatically an idol. I love my sons. That doesn't mean they're an idol, okay? But things can turn into that really quickly, really quickly. And that, that's a way um, to discover some things that we may be honest and find out that we're actually sacrificing and serving other idols all the time. And these idols and temptations, they are always coming to us. Okay, you are always being tempted by our enemy to worship something other than God. And that's why Joshua, I love how he says in verse 8, cling to the Lord your God 
as you have done this day. Cling. So this picture of hold on tight. Get your arms around God and do not let go, no matter what's around you. And you can picture, okay, like Tom Cruise in Mission, one of those Mission Impossible movies where there's this massive plane taking off and he's hanging on outside of the plane to a door as it's taking off. Okay, imagine like that. That's what it's like. You have to cling to God as all of the wind and everything around you is trying to pull you off. Or imagine there's a massive waterfall. You're at Niagara Falls and you're at a rock right at the end and it just teleports you there and all you can do is hang on to a rock, otherwise you're going off. We have to cling to God like that because the, the world and all of its gods and everything else we face comes at us and comes at our hearts and tries to pull us off. That's why we have to cling to Him instead of, or we can see in 12, He parallels it, or if you turn back and then you start clinging to these other gods. So what are you clinging to? What are you holding on to tight? When the storms of life are raging, when your life seems to fall apart, when, you, when you're filled with anxiety, or you don't feel like you have hope, what do you run to to cling to? It's another way to discover what you're really serving and worshiping. And look at how Israel um, responds to Joshua's challenge. I, I love this in 16. You know, kind of 16 on through 18, they, they say really flowerly, Far be it from us that we will forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Saying, of course not, dude. Of course not, Joshua. We are all in on God. 100%. Okay? We're committed. Write me down. Sign the card. Come up down the altar. Raise my hands. Whatever you want. And therefore, you know, we will serve the Lord. He is our God. Okay, this is good. This is just what Joshua should be hoping for, right? This is what any pastor, any evangelist, they're giving an invitation, and then everybody says, yes, awesome, that's what we want. We should... You know, celebrate, feel really good about that. Okay, Joshua doesn't do that. Look at how he responds in 19. He says, you guys aren't able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's jealous. He reminds me, he's not going to forgive your transgressions. So you, I, I'm not sure you guys can actually do this. I don't think you really understand. And so he has them swear it again, and they remake the covenant, and they set up these witnesses. What Joshua, what's kind of going on here? What's going on is Joshua's not putting a lot of stock in just their words. Saying, okay, it's one thing to tell me you're going to serve God. It's another thing to actually do it. That's why he tells them in 23, well, put away your foreign gods. If you're so sure that you're going to do this, I notice you didn't tell me you're going to put your foreign gods away. If you're really going to serve God and not serve other gods, then you need to follow through with your actions. He's just saying, you know, I'm not sure I believe y'all. And what, what we see is, this is what we all do, isn't it? Because if we took a poll or if I, if I asked the same thing, made you all respond, almost all of us are going to say, of course we want to serve God. Of course. I'm not going to serve other gods. I'm committed. I'm, I'm in it. God, just you, Jesus. Well, but what we're going to do is none of us are planning on sinning today either, I'm assuming. What's going to happen as soon as we walk out that door and then real life starts to come, we go about our day, somebody cuts us off, someone doesn't understand how a four-way stop works, you know, all these things happen, and suddenly our, our, you know, now we're not serving God as much as we were, you know, 20 minutes ago when we were inside this room. It happens to all of us, because we can say things, but what are we, are we going to actually resist the pull of sin when it finds us? And a lot of this has to do with our emotions, or our affections too. The problem isn't that we know we need to serve God. The problem isn't that we don't know that God is the best. We know that. We would affirm that. 
We would affirm, no, yes, God's Word is the only way to live our lives. I have to be in it, saturate myself with it, and follow it, right? We all know that. We would all affirm that. But then when real life comes, do we actually do it? Okay, I have a problem too. You know, we don't really love idols. Our problem is that we really actually do love our idols. We actually do love other gods. We love what they offer us. I have a problem. My wife would probably say it's an idol, maybe, sometimes. Um, but I love Dr. Pepper. All right? I love Dr. Pepper a lot. Um, and I know, objectively, soda is bad for you. Okay, soda is not good for you. There's lots of sugar. There's lots of junk. It's not healthy. I shouldn't drink it. I definitely shouldn't drink it as much as I do drink it. Um, I know that. I can, you could give me all the studies. You could give me all the documentaries you want. Um, nothing's going to convince me that it is good for you. I know it's not. It's probably not going to be in heaven because it's bad for you. Unless maybe God changes it and makes it better. That'd be wonderful. Um, but here's, here's the problem. I also know that it is delicious. <laughs> it is very delicious. And I love it because it tastes great. And I feel good when I drink it. And I might feel bad after I drink it. And then I'll kick myself for a little bit. But then about 12 o'clock every single day, I'm going to start thinking, you know, it'd be really good right now. One of those Dr. Peppers that I got out in the garage. And then at night, I think, you know, I know I already had one, and I really shouldn't have two a day, but it is delicious, and I do love it. I should get another one. All right, the problem isn't that we know that idols are wrong. The problem is that we love them anyway. My problem isn't that I need to learn. I need to slap a warning label on the back to tell me how many calories are on this thing. That's not going to stop me. The problem is that I love it. And that's the problem with our idols. The problem is that we love to worship things other than God. And that's where we need God's help. And that's what we have to acknowledge. It's not that, no, you know, I'll never serve other gods. It's, or we need to learn, oh yeah, that actually is a sin and it's wrong. We all know that. Even the world, even people who don't follow Jesus, who don't follow God, will probably acknowledge for most of their sins that they are actually objectively wrong. However, they're doing a standard and they wish they could stop, but they can't help it because they love it. That is our problem. We need God to save us. We need God to actually come into our hearts and help us stop loving the things that we don't love. That's why we have to cling to God. We have to cling to Him. In verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. So that's what clinging is. That's what loyalty is. It's not enough to just know that God is real, that He exists, to objectively know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We have to know that we love Him. And we have to love Him. And we have to love Him more than anything else that could come up in our lives. And so what do we do? How can we resist sin? Or, or, or what do we do here? How can we do some of this? And so our application this week, there's a lot of applications you could draw from this, but the one that I took is that we need to build a gospel legacy through daily surrender to God. And we need to build a gospel legacy through daily surrender to God. The last verses of this book, you know, I think, you know, it's exciting, and then all of a sudden it just starts listing kind of 29 to the end, just, well, then they died. You know, Joshua died. A lot of other people died. Joseph was dead. We buried his bones. You know, we've been carrying those around for 400 years. Then Eleazar, he died. And that's kind of how it ends, which is a strange ending. Right? It was just death, and if it was a, if it was a camera, we were watching a movie of this, it just kind of pan over some tombstones, over some graves. Like, well, it's, you know, maybe that's kind of dark. But what it is, and what's happening here, what it's doing is showing us, look, look at the way Joshua is described. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. 
the servant of the Lord. If you remember back when we looked at Joshua chapter 1, Joshua wasn't described and called the servant of the Lord. Moses was. Joshua was just called the servant of Moses. And that was part of their question. Well, you know, who is this Joshua guy? We know Moses. He was the servant of God. Nate, can Joshua be that? Here we have at the end, his legacy when he dies is he is someone who chose God, who consistently chose God over and over every single day till his last day of his 110 years. He died having left a legacy of obedience and faithfulness and submission to God. And the question for us is what will our legacy be? Because if God tarries, if he doesn't come back, all, every single one of us in this room will die eventually. Okay, this is a fact. There's only two people in history who have not died. Okay, that was Elijah and Enoch. Okay, so odds are not in any of our favor unless Jesus comes back that we won't die. So all of us, this is going to happen. But the question is, when we die, what will people say about us? Well, we have lived a life of choosing God, of choosing to serve Him, of daily submitting to Him, of daily repenting of our sins because we know we're worshiping other things we shouldn't, or will it be one of choosing ourselves and other gods? And so how does this happen? How do we build a legacy like this? Well, we do it the way Joshua did. Every single day, it's a choice. Every single day, it's a choice. If, if you look, it, it comes across a little more in the Hebrew, but I mean, you can see it even in English, that when Joshua is telling them to choose today whom you're going to serve, he's not just talking about today, he's also talking about tomorrow, and the day after that, and a week from now, and two years from now, and the next generations, are you going to still choose to follow God? Every single day, that choice has to be reaffirmed. The next day when they woke up after Joshua was dead, they had to decide again, are we still going to serve Yahweh? Are we going to serve another God? And we face the same choice, don't we? Every single day, who are we going to serve? For, for unbelievers, if you don't know Jesus, you need to choose to serve Jesus. To stop worshiping the gods of this world, to stop worshiping other idols, and listen to the fact that Jesus loves you. He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. He took your punishment so you don't have to. And He came back to life and is offering you eternal life. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do more Bible reading to get it. You don't have to go to church 37 more times to gain salvation. You just have to choose to submit, surrender, and open your arms to Jesus. That's unbelievers. Guess what, believers? We're not off the hook either. We still need to choose to serve Jesus. We still have to daily surrender to Jesus. Every single day. We have to remember the gospel, not just the day we got saved, but the day after. And today. And not just remember the gospel on Sundays. We need to remember it on Monday through Saturday. We need to remember it in the middle of the night when we wake up and are worried about something else. And because we've been saved by Jesus, what do we do? We should live like it. We should live like Jesus has done incredible things for us. We don't worship the gods of this world. Not because we're hoping if we don't worship Him, then God will save me. But we don't worship them because He already has saved us. He's already delivered us. Because we want to honor and to worship Him. And that's what it can be. If we, like Joshua, like Joseph, like Eleazar, if we daily choose Jesus, if we daily surrender to Him, we can build an incredible legacy of obedience of the gospel, of what it means to follow Jesus. And really what this is doing is it's listing out all of these people. In verse 31, as you see, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. 
and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known of the work that the Lord had did for Israel. It stops there. It's, it's open-ended and it's ambigu- a little ambiguous. It's meant to kind of turn the camera around to Israel and even turn it to us and say, hey, what are you going to do? They served Jesus. They served God. They honored Him till the day they took their last breath. What will you do? What will your last breath be? What, will you do the same or not? Now, if you read the book of Judges, it's not going to take you long. It's the next book there to realize that, well, these next generations don't choose so well. What will we choose? What will you choose? Will you choose to surrender or not? And obviously, I think we need to just surrender everything to Jesus. Not just a little bit, not just part of our lives, not just one day, not just an hour out of it, but we need to surrender everything to Him. That's why we're going to close this morning by singing the song, I surrender all. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender all of it, not just a little bit. And so as we sing it, what I'd ask is let this song be be a prayer. Mean it. If you have to not sing just so you can pray and talk to Jesus, good, do that. But don't hold back. I hope that when our time is done on earth, whenever that is, that people will say of all of us that we surrendered everything to Jesus. So I'm going to close this in prayer, invite our worship team up to, to lead us um, in that song. God, I ask, um, I ask that you would enable us to surrender to you. Lord, I, I ask that you would help us. Would you send your spirit to, to aid us this week? Lord, because we do love the things of this world. We can get so distracted by greed, by anxiety, by the worries and the cares of the things around us and all of the other idols and all of the other gods and all of the other things that we are tempted to worship. It would take too long to list them all. Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to not worship those things because we don't want to, Lord. We want to worship and to love and to cling to you alone but we need your help to do it. Lord, as we sing this song, as as we pray, pray and cry out that we surrender to you, would we mean it? Lord, would you help us fall more in love with you every single day? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to sing and worship our Savior? I'm going to remind you, next week we're going to start a a new sermon series. It's um, time for Christmas already, so we're going to start our Advent sermon series. We're going to go through um, the genealogy of Jesus and the book of Matthew. We're specifically going to look at the women who are mentioned there and look at their stories and see why are they included and what what does their stories have to tell us about Jesus. I'm going to close with this benediction um, that we've been reading for this month from the book of Romans. Um, chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I know it may be different than years past, but no matter how it is, I hope that just this week you will abound in the hope of Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.